This is The Verse, a weekly dive into the cinematic universes and beyond. We'll dissect the latest episodes, films, and news all fans from veterans to noobs are dying to know more about. Now, here's our team of pop culture superheroes we call The Verse Squad. Welcome to The Verse. Hello, Verselings. Welcome to another special bonus episode. As part of our extended verse, we interviewed the Oscar-nominated visual and special effects supervisors behind Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, Christopher Townsend, Joe Farrell, Sean Walker, and Dan Oliver. These insanely accomplished and talented award-winning professionals have worked on some of the biggest Hollywood movies across the cinematic multiverse. We had a wonderful conversation with Chris, Joe, Sean, and Dan about their work on Shang-Chi. They divulged some fascinating behind-the-scenes facts and even a few Easter eggs. Let's go to the interview. It's a really huge honor for us to be speaking with all of you today. So I guess I'm just going to throw this out to the group. Like, you know, this film really helped transform Shang-Chi from like a character that's only comic book fans really knew about to, to now like a household name. So do you ever think about the significance of your work and how it like impacts the fans, both old and new? Um, yes, I think that it, this was really interesting uh, as a as a film because it, you know, we were when I first sort of started, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to learn about this character. So, what comics should I read? And they said, don't read any comics. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, don't read the comics. We're not basing it on the comics, the comic book character. We're basing it on, you know, our own version of this, a little bit updated, um, not so culturally sort of sensitive in terms of the issues that were brought up back when the comics came out. Um, or rather insensitive, I should say. Uh, so I think it was it was very much a matter of starting with a, a clean slate of paper, a sheet of paper, and that was really fun to create something. It's always fun to work on an origins movie, for sure. As a fan of someone who actually reads the comics as well, I've only ever really seen Chang Chi in uh, in as you know, like a side role in uh, say like Civil War, Heroes for Hire, all that kind of thing. So it was uh, it was good to bring uh, you know like a a side character who, well, for me, a side character, um, uh, be brought to the forefront because he's always been pretty, pretty awesome in the, in the comics. Yeah. I mean, in the comic books, he, he didn't even have his own comic book. He was part of his, uh, uh, his father's comic book series. So you're not wrong that, that he was kind of a side character for a lot of this. And this movie really did transform the character into someone who's like, Yes, he's always been this cool and this character yeah. could be really deep. And this movie, this film really elevated that. And you guys, you know, did a great job in, in helping that with the visual effects. Awesome. Thanks. I think anytime, anytime you get to work on a, uh, on a sort of, a, I'll call it an original IP, you know, a, an original story is definitely pretty special because uh, a lot of the times in visual effects, we, and I've worked on many sequels and you know, Transformers and all sorts of films like that. But when you work along a project like this, it pretty much ha- barely has any of the uh, MCU characters in it, pretty much. And it's in its in its original origin story. It's pretty exciting from our point of view because we get to invent something that nobody's really seen before, and and that those opportunities you know don't always present themselves. Um, and so you've got to grab those opportunities. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you also get that kind of nice surprise factor, I think, as well. It's a little bit like Guardians, you know, when uh, you take an unknown or a relatively mm-hmm. unknown uh, source material and then it turns out to be something, you know, epic. It's uh, it's just kind of a nice feeling, you know. Uh, you get that surprise uh, hit, 
yeah, it is always very cool. I'm really glad you actually used that exact analogy because that's the analogy I used on our podcast uh, when we first reviewed the film. I was like, this is exactly like Guardians. Nobody knew who this these guys were and came out and just blew everyone away. So (laughs) I'm feeling good right now. I think it was also obviously very important, you know, to, uh, we, you know, Marvel had never done anything with an Asian American lead, an Asian lead. And I think that was, it felt very important. And I think we had a, a director and, uh, and a whole crew that even though not all of us obviously are Asian descent, uh, but there was a, an incredible sensitivity and awareness and care taken with the entire film from script to costume to set design to uh, obviously performances and acting. And obviously it's a, almost an entirely Asian cast. Um, and, and I think having everything being very sympathetic and, and, and deferential towards um, Asian cinema and Asian culture and so much care was taken to, to make it um, appropriate and not appropriated. Um, and I think that was that I'm very proud of what, you know, as a team we managed to pull off. I think, you know, hopefully that the Asian community um, who, who saw it, enjoyed it and felt it represented well. Yeah. I mean, in a similar vein, right. The, from day one, when this movie was announced, it was, um, I think I think at that time nobody knew what to expect, and um, I know for a long time I did not know what to expect, and I wasn't sure. Um, and now we're all the way to the point where it's you know you're all nominated for an Academy Award for this film, which is so exciting and rewarding. But what's that journey been like, right, from day one where things were maybe more like unknown, dubious, to now it's just you know as we said, household name, widely recognized. Household name, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I don't know about me. My family doesn't give me any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I just think, uh, yeah, knowing that it, you know, as, as you say, starting off, you have no idea. Uh, we're very privileged when working in the MCU that you pretty, you know, you know, there is a there's a fan base out there that are either from comic based, you know, from comic books and have grown up with the comics or people who just are into, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and so there is an audience out there and that's always, you know, it's all you you have that as a sort of, OK, we know we know people will want to go and see this if we do a good job. But you have no idea, you know, when you start and you read the first drafts of the script and think, ah, maybe this is going to be great. We'll see. But I think Destin, uh, who led the team, obviously, and directed it was did an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. When we um, when I got uh so we obviously, as a vendor, um, come on a little bit later than, than Chris and Joe. But uh, the first time uh, Chris and I chatted, uh, we had he presented some of the artwork that the Marvel team had done over there. And um, I, uh, as soon as I saw the dragons and you know the artwork of we have this beautiful dragon coming out of the lake, uh, I kind of knew that even though I mean, you can never tell how how the story is going to end up, but visually, I knew that we had so much potential here. So, uh, I, when I presented that to uh, you know the artists uh, at Weather Effects, they were all I was uh, inundated <clears throat> with people trying to to get on board because they all just you know saw this beautiful artwork and, and really wanted to be a part of it. You guys said that this was an origin story, and origin stories always have a very special place for everyone. So, with that being said. 
what was your origin stories? What what visual effects artists do you remember seeing when you were younger or whatever? What movie that you saw that inspired you to be like, you know what? That is what I want to do. Wow. <laughs> I can shoot from the hip. Nobody's going to yeah. check you on it. Chris, go for it. <laughs> I mean, the, obviously seeing uh, the Harryhausen stuff as a kid, uh, was a big influence of seeing like these things that are moving in ways that they uh, really couldn't move or you've got skeletons or uh, multiple headed uh, beasts or whatever it were, were and all that kind of stuff was amazing. But I think Jurassic Park was the film for me that mm-hmm. was, I, I was current, I was at the time working in Singapore and I'd been in Singapore. This was obviously, you know, in the nineties, so early nineties before Singapore became a hub for visual effects and there were just a couple of small companies and I was doing some TV stuff. And we had just finished working on a, a chameleon ad for Canon photocopiers with a full digital chameleon. And we were really thrilled with ourselves and thought we were amazing. And then I <laughs> went to see Jurassic Park and thought, oh, my God, I, I either need to move to America or I need to just pack up shop and just forget about this business. And fortunately, went to the States and worked at ILM and ended up working on the second Jurassic Park. So I was incredibly fortunate, but the, but I think Jurassic was the film for me that sort of made me think I want to work in movies. You know, I saw that on 35 millimeter, a couple, maybe like the last year. And I'll tell you that it, it holds up. It's incredible how good those effects still look. I I used to freak out my family because they keep telling me that I used to know exactly what I was going to do when I was like eight years old and used to really (laughs) upset them. They were like, how on earth do you know what you want to do? And I was like, when I was eight years old, I knew I wanted to get into animation and uh, and work in movies. Um, but Blade Runner was definitely my uh, my nice. for me. The the darker, the moody, moodier, the grittier, um, uh, the kind of the disturbing the nature of what Blade Runner presented itself was definitely my course. And uh, and and this film in particular actually felt like uh, quite a, a a nice bookend to my journey because you know if you can tell from my accent, I'm Australian. But I spent the last 20 years traveling the world um, after that quest of wanting to work in movies, uh, which led me to working at Digital Domain over here in the States and up in Canada, working on television and so on. And then uh, Chris inviting me and saying, hey, do you want to come and join me? Come down to Sydney, Australia. And I said, well, I speak the local language, so it seems <laughs> fortuitous that this would work out. And uh, and then, you know, the, the, the experience on this project and the passion that everybody had on it was quite uh, almost something that I, I hope I can repeat one day, but may never repeat because of the, the, the forces that made this film so special. Unfortunately, I don't have a really great story of how I sort of came into the film industry after seeing a movie and developed this amazing passion. I was at university and doing engineering, studying engineering. I kind of was looking for an excuse to get out of university. And I got on a job on a film just assisting as in special effects department. Obviously, special effects is a bit more mechanical uh, to the artistry that happens in the visual effects world. But uh, so I got a job on a film and thought, oh, this is kind of cool. And sort of actually never really realised there was a job called special effects. And then because of my engineering background, everything we do is, you know, physics and mechanics and making things work. Uh, that really helped me. So even though I didn't finish my degree, it definitely helped with my uh, career. And then, you know, and I've basically never had another job except for doing special effects straight out of university. So, uh, and then uh, then you fall in love with movies more, you know, because you're in it. But that's kind of my story. Awesome. Yeah. 
And what Dan doesn't realize is most visual effects people are desperately hanging out with the special effects guys because they make things go bump in the night. So, uh, I, I remember Dan would be like when I, the film was wrapping up I was like please please show me around your shop I want to see all the welding I want to see all the tools so <laughs> I was wandering around Dan's like alright sure you weirdo <laughs> that's awesome how about you Sean yeah for me I think um, the very first movie I saw at the cinema was uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> and I think that was probably one of considering it gave me nightmares for a while was uh, uh probably the most impactful movie for me uh in the beginning uh i, I can't remember how old i was I, it must have been around eight years old so maybe a bit too young to be seeing that movie anyway but um yeah that and then it just kind of hit in waves you know uh, every every uh five years or so a new movie would come out that would blow my mind and uh and you know reinvigorate my uh hunger to to get back into it i mean um yeah obviously like jurassic park i think was a big hit for me as well uh terminator 2 uh even just some of the old school tv uh red dwarf and some of the first (laughs) series that came to um to new zealand where uh those sci-fi shows really kind of um uh, impacted me in a way that you know maybe want want to get into this i was not expecting who framed roger rabbit though that was the that was (laughs) yeah i can see no, that it's insane some that. some of the stuff yeah they did it to this day it's like incredible to look at some of those uh those scenes and like be yeah, mystified how they pulled it off um <laughs> you know when i was growing up i was obsessed with kung fu cinema on sundays i don't know if y'all had that where you grew up but like watching those shaw brothers uh mm-hmm. and then you know as i was going through college hong kong cinema just was like crushing it in the united states like that was all the stuff that i thought was like the best stuff you could see in the theaters or if you had a chance or, you know, on DVD, whatever, or um, VHS. So when I saw Shang-Chi, I was seriously like, it was like a spoke to my heart of the things that I fell in love with when I found, you know, discovered cinema. But so there were so many scenes in this film that I kind of think were like these beautiful throwbacks to like classic Hong Kong cinema as well as action movies. Um, so was there anything for you that was like you're most proud of when you look at that film to say, I'm, this is the scene that I really am glad we got to work on? Ah, so many. I, I think you're right that, that that it really was an homage to many of sort of classic uh, Hong Kong and, and Chinese films. Um, and, I, you know, throughout. And there was there was everything with Jackie Chan movies, obviously Kung Fu Hustle, um, Crouching Tiger, Hero. You know, there's like so many films that it sort of yeah. we, you, we were watching and studying and trying to do something that sort of felt, you know, as if it was part of that genre and part of that, the ilk of those sorts of films. I, I too spent, I spent a long, a long time in Asia and, uh, and, and so had seen an awful lot of Chinese uh, cinema. And, and I think I'm on all of it, to be honest, from my point of view, I think particularly the opening, da- uh, what sort of the dance fight scene uh, between father and, uh, or between Wen Wu and, and Lee, his, the mother character, his, his wife, eventually, I think that's beautiful and beautifully photographed and beautifully acted and very poetic. And it sort of really, to me, it set the scene for the whole film. And, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, there were many. The, um, the, there were some pretty key uh, members on the stunt team and they uh, brought a lot of manga and anime influence into it. So a lot of the camera work um, and the interesting evolution that I found with camera work these days is, you know, we, we try and make our cameras as grounded as, as what a real camera can do. But 
uh, it's amazing what the, the cameras do in anime and, and manga and all that sort of stuff. But then what we can do with technology is take those cameras and do some wild things. So it's an interesting balance of sort of these wild camera moves that you would never think were believable and more grounded cameras. And they're sort of meeting in the middle. So I'd say there's definitely a lot of manga and anime, especially in the martial arts and the camera work in this film and, and brought to a pretty much a, a new level that hasn't really been seen in cinema before on a lot of the scaffolding for fight for in sequence, for instance, has got a lot of that influence in there um, with some of those camera moves and, and digital takeovers and the things we're doing in there is quite influential from that sort of point of view. Yeah. Anyone else have like a, a favorite scene or, or like a, a scene that you're most proud of having worked on? And, and Chris, I totally agree. That was actually, I think that was my favorite scene of the film. I remember seeing it in trailers, this meeting, this sort of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style choreography uh, and thinking like for the first time, I was like, I think they're going to get this movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I love about it is it sets the tone and I think very elegantly, but it also, one of the great things about this film particularly is that you bounce around in so many different looks and feels uh, and, and I think that's really exciting from an environment point of view and also a martial arts style point of view as well. You go from everything from the very aggressive to the Tai Chi, to the Wuxia, to the, you've got all these different styles and very carefully constructed. I mean, that, that again goes back to this, this whole point of doing something as authentic as possible. Brad Allen, who uh, was the, the second unit director and the, and the, um, stunt coordinator unfortunately he died a couple of weeks before the premiere um, but he was incredibly influential and what he brought to the table was an incredible knowledge on very authentic martial arts and uh, Destin was really he, he was parent he, he was his mandate was make it or make it real let's decide what the fight sequence should look like and whether whether it's influenced by a certain thing or a certain style of fighting or by or you know and it's all driven by story and the character and the moment but each it meant that everything was very authentic but also very different and so the fights the style of fighting you have on the bus is very different from the scaffolding to the very different to the the stuff that's happening in the Talo village at the end with the demons and and the the brother sister fight i mean each one is like a unique thing in a very unique environment and that's what makes it really exciting to to work on and hopefully to watch as well yeah the, the the attention to detail on this project was pretty outstanding um i remember standing on set for the first couple of days we were shooting the opening sequence uh in sydney australia with um the horses that um charge the uh the army that when we was leading and uh, just looking at these Mongolian riders that they had flown in to ride these horses in a way that they had control over these. I mean, these guys were amazing. And what, what they were doing with these horses was pretty outstanding. It, it, it sort of got fairly shortened down in the, in the, in the opening monologue there. But then, um, as Chris said, the, Brad's attention to detail on, on a, just even how you were holding your hand exactly um, was the attention to pay respect for the martial arts all the way up to he wanted basically even like a hardcore martial arts master to look at this film and go they did it right so mm. it was quite special to work in that kind of scenario and had the backing of the crew of uh, you know the dp of the director of the studio i mean everybody was we wanted to do it right you know um that was the important thing i think I was trained in martial arts and all these different styles growing up. And that was literally one of the first things I say on the podcast that if you listen to the one we recorded, I'm like, they used it in the storytelling. 
Like when you see him using, you know, uh, all the different styles that actually like relates to like his mom's influence or his father's influence. So they used the fact that it was all incorporated in was not lost on people who, you know, yeah. understand that language. Uh, so that, you know, it was really impressive for the different scenes. You have all these different like visual elements, like the, the rings were, which I know in the book and correct me if I'm wrong, Norm, but in the book, they, the, the rings were just on his hand. And then suddenly in this movie, yeah. there are these enormous rings that he shoots out like yeah. uh, Kamehameha style. Yeah. So can you kind of explain how all that came about? Yeah, unfortunately, there's another there's another character out there in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe who has rings on his hands uh, <laughs> and he wears a big glove. And uh, <laughs> so that kind of, they, we, we stopped, they, that had already been taken and we sort of felt, okay, so how do you, how do you tell the story? And as I said at the beginning that we, we, it wasn't, in, we tried not to reference, I mean, obviously comic, comic book and comic book law was important to be sort of aware of it, but it wasn't something that we pointed out and said, well, we have to do it that way. Um, so I think it was a sort of, okay, so how'd you do it instead? And uh, in the idea of the rings on the, on the arms, the bracelets became something which we thought visually as well would be more powerful. Uh, the rings were, went through many evolutions trying to figure out what they should look like uh we spent a long time creating very flamboyant effects initially and we all sort of spent many months with method uh down in in uh australia in melbourne in, in melbourne uh working with trying to get a look for the rings and it it took a long time unfortunately the mcu has used up all the colors when it comes to visual effects special powers so we're trying <laughs> to find something pretty unique is, is always a challenge but we um we you know we worked with them and we came up with these really what i thought was beautiful and everyone in the studio and the director everyone loved it and thought it was great okay we're going with that and then we started seeing tony leung's performance particularly and he was obviously going to be wielding the rings for a lot of the film and he was so understated and so quiet and so contained that having these big flashy things going on just just it just looked ridiculous so we toned it way down and we ended up with just you know 10 metal bracelets that glowed a little bit initially and so that's how we then proceeded and we carried on like that for a good chunk of the film and then when we started seeing cuts we thought okay they need to be a little bit more special than that so we then reintroduced color and um different sort of elemental design um bits to the the powers of the rings um but it was a an ongoing an ongoing sort of journey trying to figure out what worked for the film, for the storytelling, what worked with the actors and the acting styles, um, trying to find something that, that sort of told the story the, the best possible way. Yeah. And those rings are so special because even though they are, uh, they're animated, of course, they're, they're effects, um, but they look so real, you know, you look at it and you, they're flying around, you know, it's not real, obviously, but um, they look like they have such like weight and uh, character. I don't know if it's like in the sound they make or like the way that they move or or, or Tony Leung's performance, but those are just so special. Yeah, I think it's all of that. I think it's a combination of everything, right? And when we're, you know, it's not just moving pictures, it's moving pictures with sound and performance and everything. And, and so we're working together very sort of hopefully harmoniously as a group trying to create something which works as a whole. Um, yeah. Yeah. The rings actually were surprisingly one of the things that I found uh, was trickier than, you know, when we originally thought, because their movement is so dependent on uh, the the character's uh, motion. And um, 
and their different styles. So obviously, you know, when was a lot more aggressive and uh, and forceful with his with his uh, um, martial arts style, and uh, Simu is a little bit more uh, fluid. Um, but yeah, uh, when we were um, they were very spe- specific as well. Destin really wanted it to be, you know, to the to the inch the way that they were moving around. So they would always just drag just slightly behind uh, Simu's actions just to get that nice flow. And um, and when it came to Wenwu, we wanted that sharp aggression uh, throughout his fighting. So, um, yeah, originally I just thought, it's just 10 rings. How hard can this be? Uh, and it <laughs> ended up being a little bit trickier. But no, it was, it was worth it. it. It reads for sure. That's awesome. Now, obviously those are the rings. But did you find that from a visual effects standpoint, any other scene or special effect that you went into that turned out to be trickier than you anticipated uh that was like it might not even be a big detail in the movie but for some reason it took you a long time to nail it was there any particular moment for that i would say sunlight um it (laughs) we were we were blessed shooting in australia which is has a gorgeous climate and we were blessed with bright blue skies and harsh harsh sunlight and very little cloud cover and very little rain, very little stormy skies. And we wanted stormy skies. And, oh. and uh, <laughs> so we had massive rigging, particularly for the last sort of third to half of the movie, which is set in Talo, which we shot on a location. Uh, the art department created this amazing village uh, of about a dozen houses with the temple all as, all as practical. And then we obviously built our whole CG world around that and saw our whole I think it's 30 square miles of, of sort of environment and mountains and everything is all CG. But the, the, the but a lot of the stuff in the in the actual village was was originally practical, but because of the harsh sunlight, it didn't really work with what we were going for. We wanted this moody sort of overcast feel, and we wanted it to be getting moodier and more overcast throughout the the film. As excuse me, as things progressed, and uh, so we we had. I think a couple of 350 ton cranes. Yeah. Two of the location. biggest cranes, two of the biggest cranes in Sydney, basically holding up two of the biggest scrims I've ever seen in my life. And they <laughs> cast these beautiful square shadows on the ground. Um, so we had, so we were thinking maybe we just have a world with square clouds that could possibly work. <laughs> um, but we eventually had to, well, Sean, you were one of the one of the companies that did a lot of this work. So, why don't you tell us about what you did? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, originally, I think we were thinking, you know, let's see what we can get away with as far as just grading the sunlight out. You know, if we if we roto off everyone from the foreground, everyone who's in shadow, see what we can do to grade out uh, the sunlight, and it ended up just being, um, like Chris said, the sunlight was just beautiful uh cloudless days and just hitting every surface with um with such harsh sun that uh, it pretty much you know uh uh was impossible to, to grade so uh we we started roto roto uh rotoing off all of the main actors within the this square shadow uh we uh, match moved every single person uh in the uh in the background who was getting hit by hard sunlight uh, so that we could prefer, preserve their, uh, you know, their action, and uh, from that uh, hard shadow backwards, we had to pretty much just replace entirely with CG for for the most part. Um, 
yeah, just the reason being it was just, it was just too hard to, to grade out. So we did a ton of match moving. We were having to match move a lot anyway, just because all of the weapons that the uh, um, that the extras <laughs> were uh, wielding had some kind of effect on it. You know, they're all dragon scale, made out of dragon scale, and uh, in the presence of demons, they kind of gro- uh, glow a little bit. And that was that so, was quite a, quite a late addition to our to our creative <laughs> brief when um, somebody in the room while we were looking at some dailies and reviewing stuff, somebody said, "Do you think it'd be cool to have the weapons glow?" <laughs> yes, that'd be cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Immediately. Okay, camera department, let's go. <laughs> All of these things. So we had to, yeah. So everything was in post, was then tracked, rotoscoped. Uh, and replaced or enhanced it was a tremendous amount of work just to get the weapons to glow which is such a subtle yeah. thing you know <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> there's nothing yeah. more disheartening than than this amazing set that we built and then the art department are like how are you going to get rid of the sunlight and we're like oh we're going to replace it all and they're like what <laughs> we build it and you're like well well we built it for when there's clouds and inside and it works really well and and the actors feel it but yeah unfortunately we have to replace it well i'm sure the actors are very appreciative and i have i always have a saying when i you know because i make films and i teach film making every now and again but it's that god hates filmmakers so if you're depending on the weather to work out for you you know you're hated by the the, lord remember the main the main temple um uh, the main temple was really good for protecting us from the rain. Um, and it was um, particularly good for uh, these huge thunderstorms that would rip, run out in and you would um, uh, be able to hide in the temple. So it was pretty good from that point of view. <laughs> but so I think it, it also brings up, like we talk about the weapons. I don't know, Dan, if you want to talk a little bit about the, the soft weapons, because that's sort of an unsung hero sort of that that's something that so people just don't realize what you guys do in the special effects department for that true true yeah well we within special effects we have uh, another department we call the softs and breakaways department and they basically build everything that's got to be soft or break away um so the props department and the art department will design the weapon and they'll build the hero weapon and they give that to us and then we replicate that in sometimes two or three different versions there might be a super soft which you know you the actors are using in close combat fighting where you know there's a chance they're going to hit each other and it needs to be super soft but that one sometimes will be a tiny bit wobbly or won't perform as well or it'll be a bit heavier than the second soft which is some performers use and got to have the exact right weighting and they can swing it around and do all their crazy stuff and if they do accidentally hit each other which is unlikely because they're professionals they're still not going to take an eye out or well or could take an eye out but it might not you know break bones just one um, and then you have <laughs> you have harder weapons which might have to be structural so they've got to look like the weapon they've got to have the same finish but there might be a hook sword they're going to hang from so they're hanging from the scaffold on it so it's got to be a structural weapon as well as have a soft tip but then a, a solid core or so you do there's so many variations of weapons that end up getting built uh, even just as one weapon you know and then different techniques whether it's simple rubbers and urethanes or fiberglass or uh, carbon fiber composites all the different variations that go into you know trying to get a weapon that works well and there's the feedback from the stunt department they'll take something and they'll rehearse with it and go yeah that's really cool but it just needs to be lighter we go yeah well if we make it lighter it'll be a little bit more floppy it's like okay no but it has to be lighter for this one so then you build a special just for that one move a one stunt so there's specials and uh you know it ends up it ends up being a full-time job for a you know half a dozen people of the whole film it's a but tremendous yeah. amount of work yeah yeah 
Looks good yeah, in the end. Though. Sounds like it. <laughs> Nobody said, can you make this one glow though? Did they at any point? As Chris has already said, that came in a bit late. But <laughs> we have we do get asked to make weapons glow and on and have done on jobs, but then you've got something that needs batteries and it's mm-hmm. got to have but you know translucent and then it gets becomes heavier and it's not soft enough. So you know there, there's always, you know, always you do one thing, but it creates a problem somewhere else sometimes. And they're obviously much more fragile when you when they're exactly. electric. That's one of the big problems. I remember on a film uh, working with Thor, or rather with a stunt double Thor at one point, and we had the big light-up hammer. And he said, okay, whatever you do, just pretend you're hitting a sub a thing. Don't actually hit it. And he was like, and action, smash. smash. <laughs> oh, okay, gosh. take one. I guess that didn't work. And it was a one-off of the hammer. Like, okay, well... So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little bit like in Star Wars that they've had issues with the lightsabers. They just had the lightsaber so builder set because everyone is just breaking them constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the temptation is too high. You do actually have a fully working light, and you're all on off off on the side, and you're testing. You're like, yeah, that's fantastic. And they bring it on, and they stand it, and they go and turn it on, and they're like, there's a guy on the side going, oh, is it not working? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a little shocked that. Um, the bamboo maze that's uh they're they're driving through and constantly changing i figured that would have been like one of the one of the scenes that was probably a little more tricky for you guys because i can envision um going through that and being like okay yeah that looks fine but we need to find like we need this looks a little too wobbly that looks a little too stiff um with a scene like that um how does that experience start changing once like music and and um, sound effects start coming in like do, do does it sell it more and you're like okay now it's starting to look a little more tight or is it strictly you guys have to try and get the visuals first down before you know before at the end of the day everyone's like okay this is how it is yeah that, that was a the, those scenes were very tricky um scanline was the visual effects company that worked on that and they're obviously known for their uh, doing amazing simulation work, which is why we went to them, because uh, you needed a real powerhouse to be able to, to deal with the enormous amounts of data that you're putting through um, to try and render those and simulate those those whole forests. Um, I mean, just tremendous, uh, in, in tremendous amount of, of information that you have to sort of process. The... Uh, the, in terms of where you work with with sound, we are we obviously you know we we very closely previs the sequence, and third floor was the company that did our previs for this film, and uh, th- so we we work iteratively back and forth with them and the director and the DP uh, and trying to figure out how you and, and stunts and cars and everything and trying to figure out what the car what the physical car really could do or what needs to be a CG car and where and then you start with locations trying to figure out how do you shoot a real car where do you do it Joe actually went off and shot in some uh, pine forests I think it was uh, in Australia uh, for a few days uh, photographing cars. And then, you know, obviously knowing that we're just so you actually get the physical car and all the and the actors in it, all the stunt stunt drivers in it, and you get some reflections of just leaves and things and trees. So we did all that as practical, but knowing that we would replace everything in the background beyond the car, um, including the ground, because obviously everything is moving. So it becomes a full CG world that they're driving through. Uh, you have to create that as a totally realistic photorealistic thing that when it lit, when it sits just as a standard forest, you believe it as a forest so that then when it starts moving, you don't 
question it quite as much. Um, and, and I think that so creating all that sort of that that sort of high level of detail was an incredible challenge. Then when you know, and you and we start working with it and you start simulating and you start doing rough animations and you try and figure it out and then sounds start coming in and the sound effects and the and music and everything else is obviously being worked on all concurrently. And, and we absolutely listen to what's going, you know, we listen to it and we try and say, oh, okay, there's big hits there or there's, they're, they're trying to imply that as it hits the car or whatever. So, and, and they were, you know, it's very much a, you know, around and around trying to figure out the best way to, again, tell the story. But we, we in visual effects, in that, in that kind of a thing, we drive, you know, what we're doing and what the editors are doing. We drive what the sound is doing ultimately for that kind of thing. So they react more to what we're doing rather than us to them. But obviously it is a bit back and forth. Does that answer the question? That was a bit rambling. Sorry. Yeah. No, absolutely. That was great. I'm curious about any potential Easter eggs that may have slipped through in the visual effects work or anything done on set. Uh, now, I also understand that some of these kinds of Easter eggs might be guarded, uh, you know, as if they're the queen's jewels. So if you can't speak on that, if there are any specific um, details from set that you remember or, or while you were working on this film that were really special, but you don't think people notice a lot or talk <clears throat> about as much. That would also be a very acceptable answer. <laughs> um, I, I certainly can. I think we can talk about the the in the bus sequence. He's holding a phone, and it's a live stream, and there's all these names coming up, which don't really mean much to anybody, um, except they're all our names just streaming up uh, in there. But they're all like weird Twitter names, so um, they're all like you know. I think my dog's name is in there, and I think Chris is in there, and basically we tried to get a lot of the production VFX team up on the, the streaming thing. So when he's holding the phone, he's live streaming the, uh, the fight sequence in the bus. I certainly remember that. And nobody else would probably know that. Um, <laughs> that's, oh my God, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. I think, I think so we're also seeing... in the monitors in the, in the nightclub too. I think there's like a whole lot of hardened criminals and that was oh, all yeah. just us. Hardened like criminals. Mugshots. Yeah. Mugshots of us. <laughs> and I, I think I didn't shave for two days so I can take the mugshot photo and, <laughs> look like some sort of hardened criminal that was in the underground fight ring. But if you're looking for Marvel secrets, I'm going to hand that over to Chris. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, he's going to pass on that one. Yeah. Well, I have to... We I'd have to think some of those some of those Easter eggs of you putting yourselves in there is just also out of just pure necessity. You're like, we need to have some photos. We don't want to get clearance yeah. for, you know, having to go through clearance for these Absolutely. shots. So we'll just take photos of ourselves and try yeah. not to sue ourselves. Pretty much. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm definitely going to go back and, and look at all the Twitter handles and go try to follow your dog on Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you all have an opportunity to see the film in theaters, like with regular fans at any point? Did you all have that opportunity? What did you think of that experience sort of seeing the crowd's reaction to this film? Because again, as we discussed, this was very unknown. Did you even expect this movie to take off the way it did at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I saw it. Uh, uh, I've seen it a few times. I've seen obviously we saw it at the premiere, which is a a different sort of audience. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but then obviously watching it with regular audiences and seeing people react and you know laugh and cheer and things was was always is always heartwarming. Uh, and I, I did we think did I think it was going to take off? I mean, I, I hoped it would. I, I thought that it was an important movie, 
um, in a similar way to you know what Black Panther did for the um, the Black community, the African American community. I thought that what Shang Chi was going to be help, hopefully something as culturally significant um, and well received. So I think you know we hope for something like that. Certainly, the what was happening in America at the time with all the you know bad vibes of what was going on, we we kind of felt like this film would come out at a really nice time and hopefully be the polar opposite of some of the um, news that we were seeing on there. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it, it hit its mark from that point of view. And I, I certainly only saw it at the premiere with, uh, with COVID going in full swing mm -hmm. at the time. It was a bit hard and I kind of regret not having seen it in a sort of a, a just a general audience. We, as Chris said, saw it at the premiere, um, which is obviously a very special kind of audience, very select kind of audience but it was awesome to watch them react because <laughs> yeah I, I personally had just been sitting in a dark room by myself uh wasn't even working with the team because when COVID hit we all came back and we were all working independently of ourselves so I would go and do what's called tech checks of the final shots and I would sit in a big empty room and watch it up on the screen and with nobody around me and I just watch the shots over and over so seeing it in an audience was pretty special for me yeah, uh, I was lucky, I think, or was am fortunate to be in New Zealand at the time when uh, we had like no community cases. So uh, for for me, it was yeah, full full cinema, everyone uh, going off. It was yeah, it was an incredible experience to watch for sure. And it was one of the first sort of um, really big blockbuster type movies that had had come out, um, you know, last year. So uh, it was, I think, people were really eager to get back into the theater and um and see something you know of that kind of spectacle so uh yeah it was awesome uh, i think the, the crowd was even wilder than they may have been uh, had they not been mm -hmm. you know trying for that kind of thing fortunately i didn't get to see it on the big screen i saw it on the small screen uh i'm actually in prague at the moment working on a film so i've got some of my crew with me who are on shang chi so we did a bit of a you know chips and popcorn night in front of the tv and 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 watched it, which was good because it meant we could have a running commentary and talking backs and forth. Oh, this bit. Oh, they missed that. Oh, they did that bit. That's great. So <laughs> you can't talk like that in the cinema. So Chris and Joe ruined fun. this bit. Yeah, that was that, that was fun. Yeah. They screwed up. Oh god damn! What happened to you? You no, probably saw it on the you probably saw it on the airplane, mate. Right in full really, cinema really screen, just it. about three inches in front of your head. Slightly <laughs> bigger than that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, guys. Um, so. I think we only have time for one more question. And of course we are going to save the hardest question for last for you guys. Um, at the end of the film, we see um, Shang-Chi, Katie and Wong singing some mad karaoke. So what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> On the spot. <laughs> Let's go. If you, if you had to give you a microphone right now, what would be your burst into song? What would you burst into? I'm I'm English, so I don't do karaoke. Um, <laughs> ew! Never done karaoke. I totally your song by Elton John. I don't know why it just seems to be the one I go to when I've had a couple. <laughs> I'm sure it's a crowd pleaser, though. That's a good one. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a only the lonely Roy Orbison. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, nice. Oh, that's nice. A good one. I guess Dan, you're gonna dance. Oh, okay. Never done karaoke, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Now those are good choices. I'm glad yeah. that was the hard question. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I know, seriously. I know. I think of other hard questions you'd ask, and we'd be like, nah, not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris wow. has had to avoid a few <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like classified information questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it said he'll he'll divert and start singing in karaoke. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> That's how we get the answer. <laughs> I, I can't answer it, but I can sing the answer. <laughs> <laughs> loophole. Yeah, a marvel loophole. That's awesome. I'd like to just thank everyone so much for <laughs> for your work and for your time today, um, and for bringing this incredible movie to our screens. We so appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Well, that was our interview with Chris Townsend, Joe Farrell, Sean Walker, and Dan Oliver, visual and special effects supervisors for Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings. We'll be back soon with coverage of your favorite movies and TV shows across the pop culture multiverse. So long, and thanks for listening to The Verse. The Verse is presented by ScreenRadar.com and produced by Stephen Kruzakowski.